0: Well, good morning. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Evan, and I have the uh, privilege and the blessing of being on staff here at the church. Uh, And today we get to continue our series, uh, our Advent series, Jesus and the Old Testament that we've been going through. And this series, it has been designed to see the glimpses of Jesus throughout the, the major sections of the Old Testament because Jesus isn't just located in the New Testament. He's located all throughout scripture, all pointing to him in all things, and that's what this series has been designed uh, to show. And uh, ultimately, we've looked through through several major sections of the Old Testament, the books of the law, the history, uh, the wisdom literature, and today, uh, we're going to be looking at the major prophets, seeing how uh, Jesus is this promised coming Messiah uh, to the people of God. Um, But before we begin, let's open with a word of prayer as we get ready this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are so good, Lord. Uh, Your mercies are never ending. Uh, Father, in this Advent season, as we look forward to the birth of your son, Jesus, may we, Lord, just reflect on all of the wonderful things that you have done, all of the wonderful things that you have promised, Lord. And though at times we as your people have been unfaithful. And I say at times, Lord, many times we are unfaithful. You are still a God that pursues us in all things. You are a God who, who has promised the coming of this little baby in the manger. And may we see that truth reflected in your words today. And Father, may the words that are spoken here today be your words and not mine. May we walk through scripture And may we see the wonderful truth that you have provided us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So from the moment the the piece of the forbidden fruit was dropped from Eve's hand and landed softly in the lush soil of the perfect garden, we have been hoping for something new. The Lord chased after Adam but then chased him out of the garden. Everything was lost, and the only hope was that the woman's offspring would one day bruise the head of the serpent. Some of her descendants were types of the one who would come to make all things new. In this partial newness, it came first in the form of a man named Noah. God sent the flood and recreated all things from a new starting place, yet Noah's family was wrought with the same problem that Adam's family had, that that, that Noah shared this DNA with Adam, this genetic disposition to ruin things, to make things old again. And so it's no surprise when we see their descendants building a tower when God had actually told them to disperse and multiply and fill the earth. God used this as the inauguration of diverse languages to force a scattering across the whole world, and God he still wanted to make things all new. And this newness then came in the form of a man named Abraham. Abraham was called of God to bring new things. He was called to be the father of this new spiritual race of people. He, God, he promised them land, offspring, and blessings. Now, none of, this, it could, none of this could be physically seen at the time, but rather it was a promise of what was to come. Abraham was walking and living in faith toward a trajectory of newness that he would ultimately never see with his own eyes. The land, the, the promise would ultimately come through another man named Moses, and many years after living in bondage to Egypt, Moses would lead God's people out of this bondage and to the threshold of the promised land. But once more, the people that Moses led out of Egypt would suffer at the hands of their own rebellion. And those that generation would never go into the promised land. It would be the next generation who would go into the land as God commanded. And once Israel was in the promised land, the period of the judges would come, then the period of the kings. And eventually, we get to King Solomon, whose sin would lead to a divided country. And many other sinful kings came after him, leading the people astray. And this brings us up until the time of the prophet Jeremiah, the people now are facing exile because of their sin. The Babylonian uh, empire is coming in. Uh, it has been foretold that they will come and, and bring the people of God into this exile. And if they ever wanted something new, now was the time for something new. And they, they seemed in later in Jeremiah to recognize the weight of their sin. The people understood that because of the conf- consequences of their sin... Uh, they 're facing this problem they they were grieved and they repented and, and in chapter nine, 29, they finally kind of get it and in chapter thirty this the, their their prospects reverse the the God who was bent on destroying them because of their sin wants to instead restore them and we we see in Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, one of the most quoted passages of the Old Testament that that God has promised a a future and a hope for Israel despite this exile, this coming exile. And that brings us to our passage today. In Jeremiah 31, we find this detailed explanation of what was promised in the 29th chapter. This future and this hope for Israel and, and for Judah, it's found in a new covenant with God's people. But in order to comprehend this, we have to understand the background of what is being said uh, to them. We must understand what the, the power of a covenant actually is for not only the, 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 the collective uh, con, con, like consciousness of the people, but the national consciousness. And this, this covenant, it was profound. We have to understand what it means for us today, and it's, it's fascinating. So we're gonna dive into that just now. And we're going to see God's declaration of something new and what that means for us. So if you would, go ahead and turn to uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 37 in your Bibles. Um, If you have a phone, you can pull it up on there. We will also have it on the screen. But once you find that, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? From the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth can be explored, then I will cast off all of the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. The book of Jeremiah, it can be summed up as the message of God's justice and the message of God's grace. Jeremiah, he's a prophet whose ministry occurred during the reign of, the, of Judah's last four kings. In the book of Jeremiah, it's this collection of all of the sermons and poems and prophecies of Jeremiah for not only Judah and Israel, but also the nations that surround. And Jeremiah's message is focused on uh, God's judgment for this covenant infidelity that the people have and, and these worldwide sins that are occurring but he also emphasized God's determination to restore his people to himself through the establishing of this new covenant. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. This, this well-known passage, it's this summary of Jeremiah's message of justice and hope and grace. And, and it's this proclamation of the new covenant. But in order to understand the significance of what is being discussed, let's, let's just take a moment to discuss what a covenant is actually is. Uh, and I think David Atkinson, he, he explains covenant the best. He says, covenant is meant, um, by covenant, is meant an agreement between two parties based on a promise, which includes these four elements. Number one, an undertaking of committed faithfulness made by one party to the other. Second, the acceptance of that undertaking by the other party. Third, public knowledge of such an undertaking and its, and its acceptance. And fourth, the growth of a personal relationship based on and expressive of such a commitment. That's what a covenant is. And it's, 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 it's extremely difficult to express how powerful this idea of covenant was to the people of God. You know we see promises being made all through uh, out scripture, all the way back to Adam and Eve. Uh, God's way of communicating us with us. You know God promised that if they, if Adam and Eve would eat, were to eat of the fruit, that they would experience death. And they, when they sinned, God promised that there would be a hint of blessing even amidst the curses of eating that apple. When Noah landed on the ground, God promised that he would never flood the earth in that way again. Yet this idea of covenant is beyond all of that. It's, it's crystallized in this idea when God first appeared or, or God appeared to Abraham in Genesis 12. This is what the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house uh, to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, he, he, he promises these, these three elements, covenant uh, of the covenant, land, offspring, and blessing. And, and later in Genesis 15, we, we see how this covenant is made explicit. It's, it, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Abraham, he receives the covenant and the covenant was later renewed at Mount Sinai with Moses and, and the law. And later it's uh, affirmed through David with the Davidic covenant. And all of these things to bring this blessing of the land, the offspring, uh, all of that is, is what is promised here. And so here the people of God are just before being taken into exile. And perhaps they're wondering if this covenant that was made by God is still active. After all, maybe it seemed like God has forgotten them in the midst of their sins. Then right in the middle of their me- mess, God, he, 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 he doesn't affirm the covenant. He doesn't come in and say, hey, I want to write up what I did in the past. What he said was not this confirmation of something old. This was the promise of an inauguration, of something, something new. And this, this, this new covenant, it was shocking to the reality of, the, of God's people's system. It, it, listen again to the words of Jeremiah. He says, behold, the days are coming when, uh, declares the Lord, when I make this new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And God here, he's, he's, he's saying, hey, this is the start of something new, something that you have been waiting for. He, Jeremiah, he records this new covenant. But we need to ask ourselves, why did it need to be something new? Why, why wasn't the old one good enough? Well, verse 32 answers these questions. In verse 32, God says, And this will be not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. When God instituted this this old covenant the Mosaic covenant back in Exodus, he gave the law to the people of Israel. And this covenant was the result of God formalizing the relationship he had with the people, giving them a treaty of right behavior and practices that the people were to uphold, and he listed these provisions for the infractions to these regulations. But the people could not and they would not keep them. And instead they constantly chose to turn their backs on god this is this this disloyalty to god it's it continued throughout the generations and although it was apparent that there would be individuals who would keep the law of god the people as a whole they never would and so God uses this language of marriage here to remind how tragic the faithlessness of his people really was. They, they rejected the one who loved them and wanted to protect them. And instead of just going in and fixing the people, God, he, he says he's going to establish this new covenant that deals with transgression in a similar but a new way. This new covenant would establish a personal relationship between God and the people. And it's not based on us living under the requirements of the law. The law convicts us of our sin, but but rather the new covenant and salvation is found when we place our faith in the coming Messiah, who we now know is Jesus, whose death and resurrection was the, the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. And we can see this clearly coming from a vantage point of living after the time of Christ. We can see how God's plans were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Jesus, he referred to the cup at the Lord's Supper as representing the new covenant. He says, he says this, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The cross of Jesus. It was a promise of salvation for all those who would believe. And unlike the old covenant, this new covenant will never fade. Paul makes this explicitly clear in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11, where he compares this new covenant to the old. He writes, now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, this is the case. What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For what, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The new covenant, Paul says, is, is more glorious than the old, because this, this glory is, it it, it will never fade. He uses this picture of Moses's face as this metaphor um, for the fading glory of the old covenant, and at the time that this was recorded in Jeremiah's time, all of this was still to come. And the, the, the people, they, 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 they are seeing how God is, is giving these details of the new covenant and the people, they, they have hope for what is to come. They don't know what it will look like in the form of the Savior and the Messiah. They don't know what that is, but they have this hope that God has promised it and that it will be uh, fulfilled in the future. When I was in uh, college, I knew a guy named Tim. I was an RA, and I had a bunch of students that that lived under under, under me in my dorm, and there was this guy named Tim. He loved board games, Uh, absolutely loved board games. We'd play board games uh, almost every week. We'd have a board game night, and he was a business major, and his favorite game of all was Monopoly. I don't know anybody whose favorite game is Monopoly besides Tim, because it frustrates me. But if you aren't familiar with the game Monopoly, the understanding, a general understanding of the game is you want to try to buy up all of the properties on the board, and you want to try to make the other players go bankrupt. Um, And one of the best cards to have is like that get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, like I said, Tim, he loved the game Monopoly. And he loved it to the point where he printed out a bunch of these get out of jail free cards and he put a bunch of them in his wallet. And he would always joke around saying, you know, if I ever got pulled over, I'm going to whip one of these out and I will be saved from a ticket. (laughs) However, we know that when we play the real game of life, that card doesn't quite work like that. And one night, Tim found that out firsthand. Tim was driving, and he performed a rolling stop at a stop sign and proceeded to be pulled over. Uh, the police officer uh, was talking with him, and he noticed that not, not only that Tim didn't fully stop, like, he, not only did that happen, but he noticed that Tim's car's registration was, like, out of expiration by, like, four months. And so, uh, at this point, Tim knew he was in trouble. But him being braver than I would have been, attempted to try to use this get-out-of-jail-free card. (laughs) Now, the card, it did provide a few laughs for the police officer, uh, but Tim still got a ticket. And the officer proceeded to uh, tell him, hey, I appreciate the humor. It was an A for effort. Um, But he he also told Tim that the the card, it, it didn't work because the law is final and would be upheld. And I know this story because I'm sitting in the back seat like I'm going to be arrested here. Um, but I tell you this story uh, and, and try, to, try to have a laugh because we, you know, when we look at this idea of new covenant and the idea of the old covenant, we, we as a people are convicted under the old covenant law. Not only are we getting a ticket, we have a warrant out for our arrest. We have broken the law, and we find ourselves in a predicament that we can't get ourselves out of. But as we stand before the judge, guilty of our crimes, enter our attorney who says that the price has been paid and that we can go free. We can't do anything to pay that price. But through the promise of this new covenant that that God is giving out there, those who would believe in the Savior would be counted as righteous not because we are righteous, but because our Savior, Jesus, is. And isn't that a relief that we don't have to try to uh, trick God with some, some cards, some get-out-of-jail-free free cards? Isn't it such a blessing that, that, that we receive more than a, hey, you get an A for effort when we stumble and when we fail? God is so good that he provides this promise that, that we can come before him. The, the writer of he, Hebrews declares, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in, in, to help in the time of need. That is the promise that we look to in this, uh, in this new covenant that God promises You know, human history since the time of the Garden of Eden has been the story of humanity's running from God and ultimately his pursuit of us. The God who gives Jeremiah this prophecy, he's a pursuing God who refuses to leave the people to their own destruction. He's a God of new beginnings who will never give up but always does whatever is necessary to work out his best in our lives. And sometimes that best in our lives, we don't like it. It makes us uncomfortable. But we have that hope in this new covenant that that God is working, even though we might not see it all the time. But this leads us into the, the second point of today, looking at the uniqueness of this new covenant. Jeremiah writes in verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That first distinguishing mark of this new covenant, it's the idea that this covenant is going to be written on the hearts of the people of God. And that is a significant thing because earlier in Jeremiah, if you read a little bit earlier in chapter 17, he writes this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? Why then is God going to write the law onto the hearts of his people when when our hearts are so wicked? The prophet Ezekiel, he answers this when he says, and I will give you a new heart. This is the Lord. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When God uh, writes this, this new covenant on the hearts of the people. It's the sign that the people have been radically changed. Those under the new covenant, they're going to obey God, not out of duty or of fear, but out of a God-given desire and ability to do so. It's all from God. Walter uh, uh, Bergman says, obeying will be as normal and as readily accepted as breathing and eating. All inclination to resist, to refuse, or disobey will have evaporated. And so with this being said, having the law, uh, this this law written on one's heart, it's not so much a matter of immediate knowledge, but rather it's this transformed attitude and this transformed behaviors as well as a, a deep knowledge of the Lord and a personal relationship with him. That is the result of this covenant faith. That is the hope that we have to look forward to. And that's the, that's the goal of all the previous covenants as well. God's people are able to dwell with God once more. And we also see a second distinction here in verse 34 when, when Jeremiah writes, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins sins no more. Now, when we first read those words and hear those words, it might seem as if God is saying, Oh, there no longer needs to be teachers under this new covenant. That's not the case. As throughout scripture, we have seen that the gift of teaching, it's highly necessary. So what then is God saying here? Well, through Jeremiah, God is saying that there no longer needs to be this, this intercessor, this, this prophet or priest to intercede on the people's behalf. Because you see, in the Old Testament, there were people like Moses and Joshua and Samuel, Ezra, Nehemiah, many others, who would speak to God on behalf of the people. Now, in this new covenant, God, he takes away the middleman, Now the people of God are able to uh, be in this personal relationship with God. They can go into the throne room, as we read earlier from the book of Hebrews. This promise that the new covenant brings, it's it's this one of renewal and restoration. But it does not mean that it's it's all up to God. We We as humanity do have a role to play in this story. We can either choose to accept this new covenant, be in this blessing or we can choose to reject it. We either embrace this this heart change that comes from this personal knowledge that we have of God, or we choose to embrace the sins and the desires of the world. Just as we cannot serve two masters, neither can our hearts embrace two truths. We either wholeheartedly embrace God, or we allow the world to twist our hearts into hearts of stone. That's, that's what we have to, to, to look at. You know, something that you might not know about me is, I, I really like looking at art. Um, and when I say art, that's like from a non-artist person saying like that, so that sounded really weird. But I, I love seeing these paintings, specifically paintings of Christian themes. Um, I find these paintings so interesting at times because I I can look and see, okay, this artist is depicting this biblical scene in this specific way, and I think it's so wonderful how that happens. And I'm not artistic by any means, but I I appreciate those who have mastered their skills. And a few years ago, uh, as I was kind of looking at different paintings, I I came across this story of one specific painting that that has stuck, stuck with me. And so in November of 2008, one of the the greatest masterpieces of the Italian Renaissance was restored to its original splendor and returned home to the renowned uh, gallery in Florence. Uh, The painting called the Madonna del Cardigliano was painted by uh, the painter Raphael in 1505. And it was for the wedding of one of his friends, a very uh, wealthy Florence merchant. And portrays Jesus Christ, Mother Mary, with two children who are playing with a bird. And the children here, they symbolize John the Baptist and John's younger cousin, Jesus. And the goldfinch was the bird uh, that, that, that feeds among the thorns. It's interpreted as the uh, future suffering of Christ but something happened to this painting. About 40 years after it was created, there was an earthquake, and in the house in which this painting was being kept, the painting was shattered into 17 different pieces. The wood was smashed into bits. You can kind of see a little bit up there right now. And so another artist, they, they took nails and tried to piece the pieces together and They tried to paint over it and conceal all of the cracks and all of the breaks to make it whole again. Uh, But there were so many layers of paint added over the years and so much dust and grime that this painting uh, lost its original colors. The original art was completely obscured. Now, a few years later, here in the modern day, um, there was a contemporary restoration project that sought to fix the shattered areas, removing the layers of paint uh, and dirt to get the colors back. It was a team effort. It took 50 people over 10 years of working on this painting, uh, but the end result is stunning. And, and, And Richard will put that up, yeah. The cracks, they're completely gone centuries of this brown film and this grime, they're, they're gone. The, the, the dulling veneers and the patches have been stripped away and this this finished product glows with all of the deep colors, the, the reds and blues and golds of all of the original art. It's, 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 it's amazing how they were able to do this and given how badly Uh, it was damaged. This restoration of Raphael's painting is arguably even more amazing than the original painting itself. Where the original was splendid, the the miracle of the restoration, it it compounds this beauty. And so knowing the the drama of the story, you can only gawk at the, the wonder of what was able to be restored here. And I tell you this story because uh, in our passage today, we we see the promise of a far greater masterpiece of restoration. The one where the the one the one the one that the Lord wants to do in your life and in mine. You know, tragically, the beautiful design of the God who created this has been marred by sin. Layers of dirt and grime have been collected in our lives. Maybe we have felt them or sensed them in our lives. We thought we can maybe paint over the damage, but it didn't work. Maybe we put patches over to to, to cover up the cracks, and the veneers that we applied just made things worse. Maybe we've experienced earthquakes that have shattered us in our own lives. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has the power to restore us, to make all things new. Through this new covenant that is promised, we as believers can be confident in the renewing work of God that he is doing in our lives. We can go from being broken and shattered to masterpieces who reflect uh, the master that that has created us. That's the hope that we have in God. That's the hope that we have through this new covenant. That's, That's so beautiful. And, and Jeremiah here, he, he concludes this section with this promise of the new covenant, with these two doxologies, because he wants us to know, wants God's people to know of the certainty of that promise. Jeremiah, he writes this, these, these poems, these doxologies, and he says this, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord." In this section, we see a few things, but we see first two principles that show God's faithfulness. First, we see that God gives. God gives the sun, the moon, and the stars, and He fixes them in their proper place. But second, we see that God stirs up. God, He rules the sea and causes it to roar. And we see these references to the sun, moon, and stars, and we see order, and then we look to the, the reference to the, the sea, and well, we see disorder and surging chaos. But through this doxology, Jeremiah is writing about how God, he governs both the order and the disorder. The point of this is to, to show us that this cosmic arrangement, it's utterly reliable, the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars, that is what God has authored. And to cease, that is unimaginable, unthinkable. That, that won't happen. And in addition to that, the second doxology makes the same affirmation. The, the heavens and the earth are, are never to be measured or explored, and, and thus Israel will never be rejected. This certainty, it's not with anything that, is, uh, that, that Israel could do. Israel can't do anything, but it's completely reliant on God. That is why we can have this great hope. The creator of all of these things who spoke and it came into existence, the one who holds these things in place, that is who we can rely on. Because he is so powerful, so big, and and, and so amazing that he will never break this covenant. You know, as I was studying this week, I, I came across an article in Christianity Today, and the author, Philip Yancey, he writes, he writes this. I remember my first visit to Old Faithful in Yellowstone National Park. Rings of Japanese and German tourists surrounded the geyser, and their video cameras trained like weapons on the famous hole in the ground. A large digital clock stood beside the spot, predicting 24 minutes until the next eruption. My wife and I uh, passed the countdown to the dining room of the Old Faithful Inn overlooking the geyser. And when the digital clock reached one minute, we, along with every other diner, left our seats and rushed to the the, the window to see this big, wet event. And we noticed immediately, as if on signal, that a crew of busboys and waiters descended on the tables to refill glasses and take away dirty dishes. And then the geyser went off. We as tourists oohed and awed and clicked our camera, and a few spontaneously even applauded. But glancing back over my shoulders, I saw that not only a sing- not a single waiter or busboy, not even those who had finished their chores, looked over at the huge window. Old Faithful had grown entirely too familiar and had lost its power to impress. You know, in our lives there are. Few things that we uh, take more for granted, we, 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 that are more quickly take, taking for granted than God's faithfulness. But few things are more important. God's faithfulness, it deserves our untiring praise and our untiring worship. And the, these doxologies here in Jeremiah, they are here to show the utter faithfulness of God to uphold this new covenant so that the people of God may once more be able to dwell with him. We should hold that in utter awe because that is the faithfulness of a God who loves us so much. And as we close this this morning, I just want to remind us of this, that we live in this, this time of the already but not yet. As we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus next week, we should be reminded that the new covenant blessings that Jeremiah are promising here, they can only be found in light of Jesus' birth. Without Christ, this promise won't be fulfilled. Without Christ, uh, the Jews, they would still be living under the condemnation of the law. And the majority of us who are Gentiles in this room, we would be living with no promise whatsoever. But God loved us so much that he made the promise first to the Jews and then later to the Gentiles so that those who would believe would be welcomed into the family of God. We live under this, this new covenant blessing and we, we allow God to come into our hearts and transform us, not only our hearts in, but our minds as well each day. And that's, that's the reality that we get to live under when we, when we see the blessings of this promise yet we still have to be reminded that we have not actually seen the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. That fulfillment will come with the second advent, when Jesus returns to make the world anew. That is the fulfillment that we have to look forward to. And so in the meantime, let us be a people who actively seek to have the things of God written on our hearts. Let us be a people who not only have a head knowledge of God, but have a personal relationship with him as well. Let us be a people who who look to celebrate the birth of Jesus, not just during this season, the Advent season, but every single day because he is the reason that we can have this hope and this salvation that is freely given to us. That is what we have to look forward to. That's what Jeremiah is discussing here, and that's such a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are so good, Lord that you have provided a way for us. You have seen that we are stuck. We're in a hole. We can't get out. But God, you loved us so much that you have come and not just put a ladder down to get us out. You jumped in the hole and helped us get out of this hole, Lord. God, you are so faithful. May we remember the promises that you have given. May we remember that the things that you have written on our heart transform us into your children. God, you are so good. Your mercies are never ending. Be with us in this time as we, we, we are reminded of this new covenant, as we take the Lord's Supper that we can remember why this new covenant has been fulfilled, that Jesus came and gave his life for us, that he died a death that we deserve by being nailed to the cross for our transgressions, being nailed to the cross for our iniquities. But God, you loved us so much that you provided a way we, had, we did not deserve it. We did nothing to warrant it. But God, you did it anyways. And may we remember your faithfulness every single day. May we live in awe of your promise and your, your creation. God, you are so good. Jesus, you are so good. And Holy Spirit, change our lives each day. Be with us now.